Dante, how are you? What uh, I so I fucked it up. The, we were supposed to podcast an hour ago. I always do this. It's living in Arizona. It's like uh, it, we're just living in the past in every way. So I kind of thought that. Like I tried to get on here, and it was just like the meeting host wasn't here or whatever. So I was like, I bet this is I like I honestly I was like, oh, I bet that because Arizona has their own like time zone there's some kind of mix up between the two of us. So I just kind of like hung out. I didn't want to message you about it because I was like, if I'm wrong, I don't want to look stupid. <laughs> so wait, so have you just been sitting in your car for the last hour? Because, like... pretty, pretty much, yeah. I, hold on, let me, let me see here. Yeah, yeah, I have. Oh, dude, I feel like such an asshole. Wait, did you leave? Mr. Shabali is catching up with friends who are arguably more talented than him. My bad. I don't know what I did. <laughs> Dude, we're off to a good start. We're uh, the so you're in uh, you're in Des Moines right now, chilling in your office. Yeah, yeah, one of them. <laughs> The, um, it's funny, man, the, I don't know if you've been listening to any of the other podcasts, the, what, what I've been doing with these is just taking it as an opportunity to like catch up with my friends that who are, you know, who are also doing awesome things with their lives. You know, the, I'm fortunate to have, to have a ton of friends who are artists, the, but I, um, I went back and re-listened to your record, which is fucking brilliant as you know. The um, thank you, thank you. And then I was also thinking about how how we know each other, how we got to be friends. And I think it was uh, I think we first met at Bird City. Correct. Yep. Uh, out in Phoenix. Yeah, having a like, man, I love I, I love Phoenix so much. It it's just the fucking best. Really? <laughs> yeah. So it it gives me like it gives me the vibes of like so many different things so like i get the la vibes with like the great weather in the mountains i get the denver vibes with the mountains i uh -huh. get like a nice southwestern element but then there's also like a nice southern thing because you guys have waffle house and whataburger and then i also get like an east coast feel because you've got like all the sports you've got like big time shit happening there so it's like a nice mix of everything I love from everywhere, but then there's still also an element of like, like Phoenicians have their own thing that they do too. And I, I like that. I think it's dope. Man, thank you for saying that. Uh, the, Cause I mean, if there's one thing that's consistent, I think about everybody who lives in Phoenix and we all love to shit on our city, the, but I love it here, man. The, I, I you know, I found a, I found a home sort of here in the desert wasteland and uh my mom lives down the street nice. you know we've been doing shows in the side yard like the i have people here now and i have sort of like a routine that i um routine that i do and, and you know the but it's 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 really weird and it's really um i don't know it's fucking heartwarming to talk to somebody who actually appreciates i never thought about like an east coast vibe in phoenix yeah it feels like a Again, I'm a sports junkie anyway. So, like, to be able to be downtown right there at, like, the Suns Arena 
and then to be able to drive out to uh to is it Tempe with the with the football stadium? Yep. Or wherever that is. Like it all those places are super dope. And I yeah, I, I just love that it has so much going for it. Like it, it really is a, a dope spot. The um I was thinking about the first time that I met you at Bird City and the and and what I remembered about it. And I remember you being a uh a great story storyteller and a really like amiable dude and i i feel like you've gotten so much spicier in the last couple of years <laughs> uh i mean you know what man i you, you get older and you start turning into your dad right that's <laughs> i think that's what that's what happens and and so i I'll be honest with you, man. The pandemic taught me that, like, the people I love are so valuable to me that n the people I don't love don't matter. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to stay mad at these people that I don't like or that don't like me. I can just turn that energy into love for the people around me, and so it's made me a much more like, like what I think you're seeing as like spiciness is just a willingness to like. Like, you know, you told me that when I saw Pogue, you wanted me to hug him for you. And yeah. I did. But before I went in for the hug, I was like, hey, if this is a little extra long, it's because Mishka wanted me to hug you for him as well. And I just, like, really got in there and it felt good. And I was like, like, that's the sort of spice you're seeing out of me now that in the past, I just would have been like, like, oh, hey, Kyle. Like, I would have I shaken his hand and like gone on about my day, but now I'm like, no, like this is someone that I cherish and like I have great memories with and to I also have that with you. So to put the, the two together, it's like, oh, this is this is dope. And that I'm glad to say that the spice is rooted in that and not necessarily me being uh like I'm glad I didn't turn in the shitty spice. <laughs> Cause that was an option. <laughs> yeah. The Dude, you're making me tear up already. The Pogue is a large and huggable man. And the <laughs> I, I, I do think that we've all learned a lot through the pandemic and the shutdown and the the alienation, the isolation. But and I but I think we've sort of all been provided with different opportunities of what we choose to learn from it. And um, you know, that you chose to learn love out of it and sort of like just letting go of the bullshit. The um, I think that's fucking awesome. Yeah, I, I, okay, but don't get it. So here, let's see. <laughs> um, like, there's also the thing where it's like I, I also have a gun on me most of the time. So, <laughs> like, I don't, I just don't worry. Like that, that makes it easy to not worry about shit. I'm a huge black dude. I'm strapped. Like. Leave me alone so I can enjoy the people I love. <laughs> the, you know, one of the things that JT said about sort of this, he, he said about it, it about being in your 40s, but I think it really applies to like after the pandemic is um, that he's entering the Popeye stage of his life, which is just, you know, I am what I am. And the, <laughs> and, and it's the, you sort of accept who you are and accept that some people are going to like it and some people are going to get it and that some people aren't and that some people don't. 
and the it's like we've stopped performing to the empty seats right the yeah yeah you you talk to the people who are there the people who are there you, you know who are um connected and committed and there to support you and just there to laugh there to give you a chance even even people who don't know you you know that's my career like i i'm not i'm not famous so i i'm always proving myself to every audience like what i love like when i when i did altercation this year it was so much fun that i had so many friends there and people who were like oh like tell they were telling other people you got to see this guy and it feels like i've been doing that for like years now where it's like i show up somewhere three or four people know me they introduce me to six more people and then the next time i come back out of the three or four that i knew plus the six i met out of those 10 now five people are there and they're telling eight people and then i'm i'm just slowly building this thing and <clears throat> Like it, it's fun when it feels like uh, when it feels like it did an altercation, especially where it's like I like I admire you so much, I admire JT so much, I admire Richard Douglas Jones so much. So when you guys are like hyping people up to watch me, I feel like oh I gotta deliver, and then to be able to do it is another thing entirely. Where it's like okay. I'm glad I did well, but more importantly, I'm glad that people that I respect probably aren't going to come away from this feeling less respect for me. Like, I'm glad that I didn't let them down. And that's cool as shit. I, I love that. I love it. Dante, you're famous to us. You know, <laughs> there, you know, every, every, every comic who I talked to, I, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm interviewing, you know, Dante uh, this week. Every single person was like, oh man, you tell him I say hi, tell, you know, tell him I send a hug. You know, I talked to Andy Baker from the UK and he was like, oh my God. Yeah. That's awesome. You're talking to Dante. <laughs> you know, the, so it's the, the, you have become such a, uh, such an agile performer on stage, you know, going back and listening to your record and like, you know, listening to some of the bits that I know and bits that I've heard before and thinking about and, and thinking about seeing you live the, and, you know, I know you, you're my friend, uh, you're familiar, but every time I see you perform, I'm like, what is this motherfucker up to now? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's the best compliment I've received in a long time. It's like you're professional. It's like as a performer, you're professionally shady. Like, keep an eye on this one. <laughs> I, yes, I, that that is what I'm going for in a way that's like, uh, like man, look, I want to, I want to be able to tell jokes that are that are like very much a reflection of me. Where it's like, yeah, I'm talking about this thing and you know where I'm supposed to land on the thing, but am I charming enough to make this thing where I'm not going to land where I'm supposed to land? Am I charming enough to make it work? And if I am, the joke goes well. And if I'm not, it's, it's tough. And so like, uh, I, or I'll, here, I'll give you an example. On the album, when I do the thing about like 
the weather in Iowa is so nice you can leave a baby in a car all day and it won't die. Like that's a thing where it's like I I wanna I wanna see I wanna see if I can get away with this, but then I also have to add on at the end, like, no, 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 the baby doesn't die. Like I'm the good guy here. Like I like I have to I have to let that exist the way it does because that's the fun of it for me is like I that is the if someone if someone else wrote that joke and I heard it, I would be like you. I'd be like, you gotta watch this motherfucker. That mother like you sneaky bitch. Like, <laughs> what did you just yeah. do to me? Yeah. <laughs> and so I like I that makes me happy. Like I thrive in that place where it's like, wait a minute, what is he talking about and where is he going with this? And like, yeah, one of my favorite compliments from that fest was Mo Alexander being like, man, I didn't know where you were going with this one bit, but when you got there, motherfucker, you got there. And I'm like, oh man, that, it it just makes me happy. And and yeah, there is a little bit of a sneakiness in it that also feels kind of good. <laughs> There's something about comedy where an essential part of it or an, an integral part of it is um, like in, in the audience, like we need to be suckers. We, we need to buy into the thing and, and going there and being, you know, being, being a, a fan, listening, um, investing in comedy um, means that you, you need to be, you need to allow yourself to be taken in. You need to allow yourself to be tricked, to be fooled. And we're counting on, the comic to do that for us but like in a safe way the yes you know and it's like uh you know when you're a little kid your uncle would come over and like hold you upside down by one leg and you're like what the fuck you know the and, but it's fun because it's your uncle and you know he's not going to drop you or not going to drop you again <laughs> yeah it's that extreme trust because you love someone and that's yeah I, I'm going for that every time I want you to love me and I want you to trust me that I'm not going to like I want you to trust me that I'm not going to take you into a joke where I'm going to be mean to you or that I'm going to try to hurt you with the joke I want you to trust that I'm taking you into this joke to laugh at her. and so it uh it's just a like I don't want to sound like self-serving because it's not like i'm i'm not like curing cancer but it is something i do i take it seriously like i i, I want to i want to be good at this and i want to be entertaining to people but i also want people to feel like uh like i want i want them to feel like the work i'm putting in isn't just me being like okay i try to stand up and you get a lot of attention from it and i want to keep getting this attention I want them to feel like I'm putting in work because I want to be great. And like, I, I it, it almost, I hate when comedians, when we take ourselves too seriously, but I, I, I want the service of what I'm doing to matter. Not just the, uh, not just what I get from. Exactly. The, um, you know, we don't want comics to take themselves too seriously, but also the man, nothing like annoys me more when somebody says like, it's just a joke because <laughs> yeah. a, a good joke can be transformative like don't walk it back motherfucker you know the like um i, I did you see chad opitz at altercation yes 
Yes. And he was doing like capoeira and like musical theater and running around the room. And and when he started, I was like, this, I I, I want I want this to succeed. I want this to work for this guy. And clearly, yes, yes. and clearly, this is going to be a train wreck. There's no way he's going to be able to pull it off. And when he pulled it off, the I just felt like. I wanted to fucking carry him out to the parking lot on our shoulders like he was a king, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's it's really, it's interesting. Like that, this is just going to turn into an altercation love fest, but that's <laughs> fine. It, uh, that was, so I brought a bunch of friends with me. I showed up with a bunch of black people and it was dope. And they, we were all from Iowa, which is hilarious, but <laughs> It was it was my friend's first time seeing the McEwens. I think it was and your friend's first time seeing white people too, because they kind of they gave me a pretty funny look. Dude, the, <laughs> we're in Iowa. It wasn't their first time seeing white people. It was their first time seeing like white people who were like tan. <laughs> like <laughs> it was, they were like, oh, they make them in different shades. I thought it was just us, <laughs> but so so they saw the McEwens. And it was like mind blowing. And it was my third or fourth time seeing them. And I was dying laughing like it was my first time. But like for my friends to to see that, we talked about it the whole drive back. They were just like, how did they do that? What's the, because then they got to see Avery and Mike do stand up as themselves. And they're like, they completely immersed themselves in those characters. They did they did something amazing. And I remember talking to them about like, yeah, sometimes you have to be in the service of what we do. You you have to treat it like, like it, it's important. And I, I love when, I love when people are capable of doing that without being like self aggrandizing or like, like so selfish about it when it's about, it really is about the larger picture. It's about the collective and you being a part of that as opposed to it being about, you know, the singular and, and that specific person. Absolutely. The um, I've said this before. I'll say it, you know, every time if I have to, the Jay White Cotton has a great line about, um, you know, a comic is just a musician, but the instrument that he's playing is the audience, you know, and, and that, mm -hmm. Because it is, it's all about uh, communication, that connection, the, um, the the sort of swings of the up and down, you know, the risk and the versus the reward. The, um, but you know, it has to, it has to be a little dangerous. Uh, it has to be a little worrying to get the pops, you know, to get those laughs. The, um, I, you know, I've definitely, I've eaten shit a fucking ton of times, but then. <laughs> Then when you don't eat shit, man, it's the best thing ever. It's it's unreal. Like I I don't know of anything. People always ask me, like, I won't say they always, but sometimes people will ask me, like, do you get laid a lot after shows? And I'm like, not the good ones. <laughs> like I don't have I I don't have the energy to have any sex after a show because like sex can't not even sex can give me what a good audience can when I and and you can't you can't fake the audience orgasm if I go on stage and people are laughing at my jokes but I'm not delivering them right I can tell 
like I've had the shows where people have been like, oh, we're going to be nice to him and, and laugh when I was like working on stuff and it was new. It's no, I don't want that. I, I want the like real, give me the real. And so when it's real and it hits like it's supposed to hit, you could you could bring the sexiest woman alive, name it, Hillary Clinton. You could pull her <laughs> out. I can't do anything for her. Like I've I'm done. Like I have given the part of myself that needs to be satiated. I've I've put it up and it's it's been satiated. And I wish that I had more of it there that I could maybe put towards something else, but I don't. And that that's hard to find. Like I can't think of anything else that fulfills me in that way. This is perhaps the worst transition possible for this, but the I one of the weirdest things about comedy as an art form is that there is something about it that when it's at its best, when it's operating at its highest form, the there's an element of it that's non-consensual. You you don't want mm-hmm. people to to laugh for you because they like you or they feel sorry for you or they went to seventh grade with you or shit like that. You want them to laugh against their will. You want them to, to even not not like you and not want to laugh at the joke. Getting those laughs, those are worth so much more. Oh, 100%. I, I literally sent this message in a uh, group text with my friends just yesterday or the day before. I, I was like, I'd kill at a Klan rally. I promise. <laughs> I promise I would destroy like I would they would not know what to do after one of my sets and I mean it like because we were just talking about like what are standards you have for shows you do and I was like I put me wherever like is, is the goal to be funny in every room or is the goal to be you know funny to the people who who are meant to like you and I was kind of teeter-tottering on the fence, like not sure. And, and like I said, I had that thought where I was like, I, I'd kill for the clan. Like they, they'd find me funny. But I say that because like I've done these shows in like Northern Missouri and Southern Iowa where I've been in a barn and I, I know I'm outnumbered and I got to make something shake and I do it. And it's fulfilling because after those shows, like there's a, there's a thing people can't control where like, if you make someone laugh enough, they see, they see the humanity in you in a different way because they're like, Oh, I identify with the thing he identifies with. And I thought nobody else saw that. And this guy made it fun. He made it, he made it something I could digest fairly easily. And so I get these people coming up to me and they're like, I mean, they're obviously not, the most uh diverse in terms of how their how the makeup of like their friend group or like just the people they interact with is and here they are like wanting to shake my hand wanting to buy merch for me wanting to buy like a magnet with my face on it to put on their refrigerator and they've never even had an actual black person in their house and it's like it's like that that means something to me that i was able to make that happen because of something I thought of on the toilet. <laughs> the um, I used to bounce in bars in New York, and one of the 
one of the best, most powerful laughs I found that I could get was if I could make somebody laugh as I'm throwing them out, like as I'm walking them out the door. <laughs> because then yeah. people just hate you so much in that moment. If you can make that, it's like, you know, making your girlfriend laugh when you're fighting, you know, that it's, mm -hmm. that it's like, it's such a, it's, it's such a sweet thing. The, um, what, what was your, what was your gateway drug for comedy? You're, I know you're from, uh, you're from Louisiana. The, yeah. when did you first have that moment where you were like, I could do this? Oh, probably like comic view on BET. When I was growing up, it was on every night. I'd watch it before bed. And then I'd go to school the next day and my friends and I would just tell the jokes back and forth to one another. And then I saw Jamie Foxx's special on either Showtime or HBO, but it was called I Might Need Security. And he was just roasting these celebrities. And I was like, oh man, I could do that. Because <laughs> it's the same kind of thing that I was doing in the neighborhood. Like I, like I grew up in like small town Louisiana, like very rural, um, kind of country really poor but it was it was the 90s and there were drugs everywhere and there was a little bit of violence mixed in but it was still country and so like i remember the, like the dope boys where i'm from they all they used to love me when i was a kid because i was just goofy i just say the thing that nobody else would, would say and i remember like there was one of them and like when you think of the drug dealers you think of the guys who were like you don't mess with them, but one of them was cross-eyed. And when I was a kid, every time I hung out with him, I was doing it because I thought he was cool. I would cross my eyes, but then people were like, oh, he's making fun of him. And I was like, nah, nah, I think it's cool. And so then he started wearing these sunglasses. And then when I go hang out with him again, I started wearing the sunglasses and I like pull them down a little bit. Cause I'm like, I want you to see the sunglasses. But I also want you to see that I'm still crossing the eyes. And it was like, that was the beginning of it for me where I was like, I know that they're laughing at what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm, I'm going about it other than like messaging what I'm seeing. And so then at some point it clicked for me. I was like, oh, I was doing this. I was, I was, it looked like I was mocking him. But because of my innocence, the tough drug dealer couldn't get mad at me. He had to laugh at himself. And it's now it's funny for everyone. Now the people that the drug dealer would normally be mad at for laughing at him. Nah, man, it's a kid. We're not mad at that. We're all having a communal moment. And so it, it just then became a thing where it was like, okay, now I'm older and I understand how to go about doing this. I don't necessarily need to mock people but I can, you know, I can draw attention to the thing that we all see that nobody's talking about, make it funny. And now we've cut the tension of it. It, it sounds like, uh, like comedy and humor and jokes were also maybe a little bit of a survival tactic for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I mean, again, that these are after a certain point, like these are also like my cousins and my like the people that are raising me and and they're like 
So it wasn't even like I never really felt threatened where I was because, again, I'm I, like these are the people I look up to, but they let me hang around them because I'm their guy. Yeah. And so it it definitely could have become that if it, if it needed to get to that point. But I think the I, I think the way it became a survival mechanism for me was just like they were looking for any excuse whatsoever to be like, hey you're too smart to get into what we're into. So you can hang around us and you don't have to worry about trying to be like us. You just go and do your homework. You just go and make good grades. You go and go to college. And then even as I went to college and dropped out and like finally got into comedy, it was the same thing. It was like, oh, that's Dante. Like keep up the comedy, man. You got this. Like even to this day, the guys back home, like they love me, man. They're just like that's our guy. Yeah. And it doesn't doesn't matter what I do, they're gonna support it, and, and that that is dope to me. Yeah. The um, friend of mine got locked up once uh, in New York, and he was in Rikers for whatever three or four days for I don't know if it was like a traffic warrant or something, but you know, but he was in jail. And the when he got out, I was like how was it? You know? And he said, I've never been funnier in my life. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it was just one of those things where you know, obviously you, a tense environment and he was not a big dude. And, you know, he, he, he absolutely looked like a victim, you know, or, or, or somebody who was easy to push over, you know, the, um, and he was like, I, I just, I just started talking. I didn't stop. And I was, he was like, you know, I, I've never been that funny in my life. You know, <laughs> the Man, um, I'm glad yeah. that pulled him through. Yeah, yeah. The um. So, did you start when you were, when you were in Louisiana, or or was that after you moved to Des Moines, or? No, I started in Des Moines. I uh, I I moved to Des Moines in 2012. I started stand up in 2014, and it was just like one of my friends was like, "Hey, man, I think you're funny. We should go to an open mic, and you should do some stand up." I did it and then I kept going back. And before I knew it, like I started getting paid and it, it just kind of was a natural progression. And yeah, I, I wish I had known how to go about doing it when I was younger. Cause I loved comedy all my life, but I just never knew how to go about getting into it. And then once I realized how easy it was just going to mics, it was like, Oh, okay. Like, this is this is a part of me now and then it became who I was and I started to like blossom a little bit in it and that that's when it really felt great was when I was able to uh to do that the um you're you're a great performer and you have like you have such a you have such a funny demeanor and you're so good at um like leading and and misleading uh, your audience, uh, but man, you are also fucking smart as shit. Like you, uh, uh, you really, uh, you know, take us to places where, like, man, like I, the same joke that I've seen three or four times because I've seen you that many times. And I'm like, I know what's coming, and I still get got every time. The, <laughs> I, it's it's man, I'm I'm trying. Like I, that's what I'm going for, and it is. It's a, trust me when I say it's like a labor of love. Like I'm doing it for the gotcha moment, 
but I want it to be as enjoyable for you as it is for me. Cause you know, I I have jokes where you can probably, if I give you, if I give you enough information, you can go, Oh, okay. I see he's going to go here with this, but there's something about the ones where I, I have a thought and I walk it back from where it is and I go, Ooh, let's try taking it there. Then there, then there. And at the end of it, you're not, like what you thought when you first heard the premise isn't as relevant. Like I, I have these jokes now about Chick-fil-A that I think people have gotten so, we've gotten so like, I guess, like things are so binary in a way where it's like everything's polarized and you know what side of every topic you have to land on. And so I like writing the jokes where it's like, well, I thought I was going to land on this side of his joke, but he made a good point in the joke. But also, I don't even know what side he's actually on. Like what? Like at that point, what you end up doing is going, I don't know. It's just funny. And that that's my thing. Yeah. The um, I saw John Patrick Shanley speak once. And he, you know, he, he sort of spoke at length about, um, you know, how to write a screenplay and how to write a narrative and the, and the, and then he said something, uh, he said, uh, K sounds are always funny. Hard consonants are always funnier. And he said, you know, I can say what she was wearing was gauche, or I can say it was kabuki. And, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's fucking way funnier and i can't i can't think of why but it's totally true <laughs> and and i mean that i was probably 17 when i saw him you know the and that has stayed with me you know this whole time the um the it's at that bird city where we met i remember i hadn't been performing a lot and i had been you know i'm a songwriter and then you know sort of fell in with a bad lot and you know, sort of started telling jokes and doing comedy. And I remember going to Bird City and I had like this set that I've been working on, or, like really sort of writing and polishing and stuff like that. But I never did mics and I never sort of like did the grind like that. And I went there and my set list was like, you know, uh, vegans, millennials, uh, Tinder, um, uh, millennials eating ass, you know, the, and it was just, <laughs> it was like, the fucking Eagles greatest hits or something like that. It was every newbie comic was doing all those same fucking jokes. And I came back from that trip and I was like, man, if I want to do this, I need to, I need to work so much harder. I need to throw way more shit away. I need to, um, you know, I need to get funnier. I need to, I, I mean, to, it's such a hack saying, but to think outside the box, you know, the, and yeah. yeah. And it's like the, and then altercation this year, you know, it's like, uh, you and Mo both had riffs about fucking, uh, Stephen Hawking, you know? And the, I was like, oh, you know, those black comics, all they want to talk about is neuroscience. And <laughs> <Stephen> Hawking. <laughs> yeah, man, like that. Look, yeah, and I also mean, the, that, that and also, they were totally different jokes. They were totally different things, you know. The, Very, yeah. Um, but you know that that showed to me that um, I don't know. The comedy is like just so much. 
bigger than the fucking shit you see on TV or my first initial, you know, grasp of it. The, um, you know, listening to your record sometimes I can sort of hear, and I mean this in a good way, not in a, in a, like a static frozen way, but I can hear that you've done your research and shit. I was like, this is an evening where Dante had something planned and then he got a fucking thought in his brain and he was like, yo, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to miss this one. I I'm on a thing, you know, like I'm onto something, you know, and yep. then yep. you just canceled your plans or whatever and stayed home. I'm like, you, uh, you are describing me to a T like <laughs> my, if, when my friends listen to this, they're going to be like, I should, I should message Mishka this day. Like they're just going to see you screenshots of me being like, uh, Hey guys, I'm actually not going to be able to make it. And it's just me being like, you know, there's something here. What am I missing? And then just digging into it, it's like, it, like I have to find what it is because it, it could be so many different things. There was a, uh, there was a tag on one of my jokes on the album uh about where i say in essence that something is the uh the baby bear porridge of something like it's oh the the it's the weather joke again gosh this is it keeps coming up i say the iowa weather is the baby bear porridge of uh weather where it's not too hot it's not too cold it's just the right temperature and when i like for that little tag that doesn't do a hell of a whole lot, I had to go and like, had to, had to like take myself to a place where I was like, what is it? Because I knew what it was, but I hadn't uncovered it yet, if that makes sense. I was like, there's something I want to say here, but I'm not presenting it right. Like I'm not making this clear enough. And I just sat down one day and I kept writing all these different, like, it's like this and it's like that and it's like this. And none of the analogies would analogy just right. And then I was like, just on a random day, thinking about who knows what, like Disney movies or something. And I thought about, oh, like, wait a minute. This is the, the, this is the baby bear porridge. This is, this is it. This is, it clicked and it's like, okay. Put, put that in there. I had to stop what I was doing, text myself a long message explaining what I was going to do with it, and then it was like, all right, good to go. Conversely, there's another joke I have where I have a tag about Casey Anthony. If she grew up in Iowa, she'd just be a hot mom, and it's like, okay, that one was way quicker. That one, <laughs> I just, I was like, okay, this one, this one kind of explains itself, and so it's like, the, both of them worked in the way I needed them to work, but I like gave so much more to one of them, but the other one still means just as much. It's just that like, I want to put that care in if I need to. The, and from our perspective too, um, you can't hear in the telling that you, you worked hard on one of those and that the other one sort of kicked you <laughs> effortlessly. They, they both sound yeah. effortless. The baby bear porridge is so good because you got three B sounds in there and porridge is just a weird, like fucking old English. When's the last time you had porridge, man? Yep. <laughs> yep. Know, like the, 
um, how was the how was the pandemic for you? How was the shutdown? What what did you lose in those two years? Your album dropped in the in the middle of it, right? The beginning or the beginning of it? Right, right at the beginning. Yeah, right at the yeah. beginning. So I lost a year worth of touring, an album that I put a crazy amount of work into. I felt like I was on the cusp of like making a major jump. Yeah. Like I, my plan was this album is going to come out and some major act is going to take me on the road with them. I'm going to get a chance to work theaters, eventually get like regular feature and headliner work at clubs. And then I'll be off and everything will take care of itself from there. And then it just, it didn't. I had to sit home and all the shows I had booked, I lost. And I was supposed to headline Bird City and they had to shut it down. It was, it was a lot of stuff that, that I had on the books that just didn't come through and I still haven't rebooked it. And so it's like, it's like, that's the, the selfish stuff I lost. But like, I lost a couple of uncles. Um, I, I, lost some coworkers at my day job. Um, I, I lost a lot of respect for like people and watching them deal with things. And then I lost in losing that respect. I like lost a lot of respect for myself. Like what I've come to realize now that we're still in it, but having all this experience is that we were all just, trying our best but none of us knew what to do and so i spent all this time with these judgy eyes looking at people like oh you wouldn't even wear a mask and it's like man folks were just scared like i know that's not an excuse for selfishness but it is it is the reality like people didn't like we, we ended up finding out that like the science on masks we didn't know exactly what it was so like people questioned it like that it sucks. It was a terrible thing, but like I had to get rid of a lot of ego around it that, oh, just because I'm woke liberal who, you know, listens to science, I wasn't right about everything. Like, like the, the people on my side made some mistakes. We weren't right about everything. And it sucks to think that going through a pandemic, I was ever in a position where the, the, the thought process wasn't like be empathetic, be helpful, be kind or whatever. It was like, no, nah, I'm right. And you're wrong. And so that, that still sticks with me now, but uh, yeah, that that's probably something that I, I lost was like quite a bit of ego. The, I, I you know, I remember when Genevieve Rice pulled the plug on bird city and, you know, Genevieve is one of my favorite people here. She's one of the reasons why I moved to Phoenix. And when she, and I'll admit it, you know, that when she pulled the plug on Bird City initially, I was like, I was like, well, this is crazy. Why are you doing this? How bad can it be? And well, did she tell you she pulled it? She pulled the plug because of me? Really? Well, because I remember yeah, you and she... I were talking about, um, about you coming to do a show at my house um, with yeah, Bird she, City. She, she pulled it because she of you. She told me that she... She said she hated me and she never wanted to see me perform stand up again. 
And I was like, Genevieve, at some point, this is going to come out on a podcast and people are going to look at you differently. She was like, I don't give a fuck, Dante. Tell them I don't even think this pandemic is real. I'm just doing it because I don't want you to succeed in anything. And I hope your album doesn't sell well. And I, you know, I was okay with it because, you know, Genevieve, live your life. But I just wanted that out publicly. I wanted everyone to know that. So please don't edit that out. Please, if you if you want to just edit it down to where that's all this podcast is, that's fine. But yeah, I just wanted that said out loud in public that Genevieve Rice canceled a, a whole entire comedy festival because she hates me. <laughs> the... Um... We actually we're not doing any any edits on this podcast in uh, in solidarity with the uh, with the freedom fighters in Ukraine. We have donated our edits. Um, they are actually nice. they're they're being uh, there's a secret convoy. They are carrying our edits to uh, to Ukraine right now. No, the man, I, the <laughs> I it it grieves me. It breaks my heart to hear you know about you losing so many people and the. Um, and also the, um, with your album, you can make another album, but you can't make that album again, you know, and it, to lose that opportunity, like as artists, it, um, it, it breaks our fucking hearts, you know, the, yep. um, but also watching you move through it, um, talking to you now, I, I don't detect a shred of bitterness or, um, or, or, you know, or spite or any, or, you know, poor me, that kind of shit, uh, in you at all. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the people that, so what I had to, it's all about perspective for me all the time. I had to come to the realization that like the people who really like the squirrels get fat, really like that album, man. And so it didn't, it didn't become a huge commercial success per se, but like it means something to people and that means something to me. And so it's like, then we'll, we'll try again on the next one. We'll put money into promoting it. We'll get a tour together to, to make sure when it drops, I can hit the ground running. We'll do all of that. But like, if I don't cherish what I actually got from the first one, like, I just hate to think of that process as a waste because it's not. It, it The way that people who, who like it respond to it means enough for me to be like, I have to appreciate that. And so, yeah, like, I, I, I don't, you're right. There's no bitterness. There's no sadness or anything because, like, that's a, like, when you go look at the Wikipedia page for Bernice, Louisiana, it has me on it as a notable person with like the heroes I have from my town. And I, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I didn't expect to be anywhere near here. So to have an album that debuted at number one and people liked, I'm elated, man. Like, again, th the next one we'll try, I'm going to, I'm going to try to put effort into it to be commercially successful in a, in a different way but yeah i i'm choosing to take the approach that i need to be happy about what i got not sad about what i didn't get because what i got is great the 
I mean, I, I think the path that we're taking to the path that we've chosen is to um, not to mean a tiny little bit to a shitload of people, but to mean a lot to a very small group of people and to, right. you know, for, to find that to be rewarding. The, um, when, when I was 25, I was like running like a hot club in New York and, uh, and I was like, this ain't it, man. The, I'm just like, a, I'm a fluffer for other people, but I'm not, I'm not actually doing anything. So I just walked away and like mm -hmm. bought, a, bought a minivan and lived out of it for a year, like touring and playing music. And I was th thinking like, I'm going to write a record while I'm on the road. And then when I get back, a label is going to offer me a deal and we're going to put the record out and that's going to change my life forever. And I wrote a record when I was on the road and a label, you know, did make an offer and um, we put that record out and it did fucking nothing. It did absolutely nothing. And it like, and it broke my heart and like all the, um, I, I was all bitterness and spite. And now, uh, Jesus, 14 years after that record, <laughs> that record came out, it still pays my phone bill every month. Yeah. Which is, and it's not, you know, it's not the, the, the limousine made out of gold with the tires made out of cocaine that like I, we had talked about, you know, the, but, um, to, uh, I'm, I'm 45 now, you know, I, I, I wrote these songs when I was 25. So 20 years ago and, and yeah. people are still listening to them that it still means something enough. And even enough that they listen to it enough on fucking Spotify that pays nothing that I get a little bit of royalties like every month the right um, i've had to reframe how I, I i look at success you know but i I plan on being dead a long time ago and i fucked that up so yeah well like the other thing to keep in mind for me is if the next one does well the squirrels get fat will always be there so that's just like a gift for them now it's like okay if you like this one check out the other one like i'm never going that's it's never gonna go away yeah and that's something that I never, I never got a chance to prepare for that. I never got a chance to prepare for the moment in my life where I realized like, oh, I've made a thing that's gonna outlive me. Like most people have children and they go, oh, okay. Like this is my legacy. Like my album is out there. So if I die right now, it's still, it's still out there. There's a piece of me that my unborn children can go to and go, that's my dad. That my nieces and nephews can go to and go, hey, I have an uncle that did this thing and it exists that, you know, my parents can point to and go, we raised this. This is, this is our parenting. This is what it created. And so, uh, uh, like, there is no, I don't think there is a good way to prepare someone to be like, yeah, just so you know, you're making something that's going to to outlive you in terms of creating legacy. But when I had the realization, it was like, oh, yeah, I, I don't have to be bummed about what happened with it because now it's just there. Like it exists. I've done the hard part. The next one will get more people to listen to it. The one after that will get people to listen to the first two and so on and so forth, but you've created some art 
that is out there and that connects with people for whatever reason somehow like i had to i had to be proud of that the other thing too is that like if you make art of quality it goes out into the world and it keeps doing work while you're doing other shit that you know you yes you can get totally burnt out and fucking be like i've had it I and walk away from comedy and not do comedy for five years and then walk into a truck stop somewhere in the middle of the night and have somebody be like, Dante Powell, you had that thing about the squirrels get fat, right? You know, the, I, um, I was at a bar in Athens, Ohio once, and this is long time ago. Cause I was still getting shit faced. And I remember I was like upstairs, <laughs> I was probably like upstairs doing Coke with somebody and then walked down the stairs and I heard this song and I was like, this, this sounds super familiar. I, I know this song. And I walked down the stairs. And as I got into, came down into the bar, I was like, wait, this is my song. And at that moment, like <laughs> six people in the bar turned around and looked at me and they went, hey, you know? And wow. <laughs> like, I'll remember that moment for the rest of my life, you know? The, and if you haven't already had that moment with the squirrels get fat, you will have that moment. Or even you'll even have the part where you forget the one of the jokes that's on there and then it'll come on randomly and you'll listen to it. And you'll be like, yo, this shit is funny. <laughs> like it, it'll get the jokes will get funny to you again, you know? I'm looking forward to that. I, I really am. Like I, I there are small instances of being recognized and things like that, that like are still really cool. But that's, yeah, you're right. Creating the art and letting it live and have its own life is one of the coolest parts. It's been, it, it's been fun even in, in the two years that, or I guess year and a half that the album has been out, having, having these random days where I'm just on Twitter and someone tweets at me hey was just listening to comedy albums and came across your stuff you're funny dude and you know uh it, it happened not long ago and this this kid so he he goes to high school here in iowa and he was he just looked up iowa comedians and my name popped up and he starts listening to my stuff and he like he messages me and he's like do you live in LA? Like, are you in New York? I can't seem to find any info on you. And I'm like, no, I live in Des Moines. He's like, what? You still live in Des Moines? He's like, you live in Des Moines and you have a Wikipedia page? And I was like, yeah, I do. So it was just nuts to me because he was like, like his whole thing was like, do you live in a gated community? Do you have security? He didn't understand how, like, I was like, no, dude, like, I, like, I'm here. Like, if you, I literally was like, if you want tickets to a show and your parents will bring you, let me know and I'll comp you some tickets and let them, like, I'll get you in an early show. You can't drink, of course, but like, you can come see a show. And it was like, to me, I was just like, oh, like, okay, this won't be a big deal. But to him, it meant something that I didn't understand because, like, as he later explained, he was basically me in small town Louisiana, not knowing that there are like minimal steps to take 
to be a stand-up comedian. So he's over there in the east side of Des Moines loving comedy, finding me, loving my comedy, and then I get the opportunity to be the one to tell him, like, yeah, if you like comedy, in two years when you turn 18, start going to the open mic here, here, and here. I couldn't imagine what it would have meant for me if Cedric the Entertainer had read an email from me and been like, yeah, actually come to my show and go to the mic here, 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 and here. Like, I would have lost my shit. So I'm trying to make sure that, like, I'm not potentially fucking up something for him because like it, it kind of goes back to what we've been talking about this whole time. It's just good for it all to mean something. It's, it's weird too. Like the story that you were telling it, it's almost like uh, you got to time travel of, you know, sort of yeah. go, to like go back and visit, you know, at like an alternate version of yourself, you know, the, I, I've had stories like that, but it always, the conclusion of that story is like, you know, oh my God, you're Mishka Shivali. I had no idea you'd be driving for DoorDash. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is your future, kid. That'll be nineteen uh, $19.50 or whatever the fuck, you know? Yeah. Please, tips not included. <laughs> yeah. The, um, what do you have going on this year? What are you looking forward to? Um, I've got twins doing September. Oh shit, October. that's right. So, like yeah. that's that's I'm happy, man. Like I'm I'm a happy dude. Um I I got a couple of festivals I'm doing. Uh I'm gonna try to get another album recorded before the, the babies get dropped off. Um <laughs> I would like to do that right around the time they're due so that I can have it done. And while I'm going to be home more hanging out with them, if I need to do some editing, I can. If I need to be, like, doing whatever, I, I can be doing that. And then uh, hopefully, you know, either late this year or early next year, get that next album out just as a uh, – just as, like, a uh, – again, uh, I use the term a lot, but a labor of love and, like, a, a real token of appreciation to the people – who have been supporting me and like the people who have made this all possible. So I'm, I'm really excited about the material I'm doing right now and what it's going to mean for the people who are already on board. Like, I think it'll do well. I think it'll be a good introduction and people will come along for it. But I'm so excited for, like, my parents didn't know what what a big deal it was. Because I, I didn't even think of it as a big deal. But they didn't know that, like, I would potentially go number one. And when it happened, it was shocking to them. And they listened to the album, and they were like, wait a minute, this is good. And so, like, now they talk to me about comedy. They, uh -huh. they like... They want to know who should I be watching on Netflix and and who's your friend that does this? Who's your friend that does that? And they care about the what I they care about the material. They care about the content. And so I'm really looking forward to being able to come to them with another project. One that I think this time has it, it's a little more personal and will have some stuff in there 
that I think they'll identify with a little better as well. And like seeing how it does, I'm excited to see if it does what I think it will. The, you know, you pointed out that like labor of love is a, you know, sort of a cliche term, but there is something important there in that, which is that um, the, um, the work that mm -hmm. you do seem really excited. Um, you know, that, that's one of, that's one of my own critiques of the stuff that I do on stage is that I, um, Sometimes, I, and I think this part of this is from like being on the road too much or like driving myself too hard, you know, but it's to try to get the, um, to try to get the maximum laughs or the maximum response from a crowd while putting in the least amount of work. And the, Ooh, yeah. and, and that's, you know, that can be, it, and it's not um, uh, comedy or performance or songwriting. It's, it's not an investment strategy it's not about getting maximum return for the least amount of effort. It's, yeah. the, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, what, like what Chad Opitz did of like, I'm, I'm going to put so much fucking work into this. I'm going to, I'm going to put everything I have into this, you know, the, and, and I, and I think knowing him a little bit now and having seen that performance, I feel like had he got nothing out of the crowd that night, he still would have gone home with a certain amount of satisfaction of like, I brought my A game. I did everything that I fucking could for those people to try to get to them. And if I couldn't get to them, at least I know that I did the best I'm capable of, you know? And yep. the, I don't know, man, it, it's, it, it really, um, I, I don't feel excited or invigorated about creating or going out on the road or doing another record or something like that. So it's, um, it's incredibly helpful. It's incredibly useful for me to talk to you and hear and see how how much you're fucking chomping at the bit that you um that you can't wait to get to get back out there to keep doing stuff to see um to see what a fan you still are of um of jokes and of you know of, yes, of yes. the and and performing and 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 liking other comedians and you know the you know you guys shut up. Wait, I want to hear this guy. You know, the comics are famous for talking in the back. You know, that's one of the great things about altercation is to just see all the, all the comics standing there with their mouths shut, just watching the, the person on stage and like, you know, we're with you, man. Like you pitch him, we'll catch him. You know, the, it's such a support. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's really like a summer camp or a workshop or something like that. You know, it's the best, man. It really is. There, there's, there was a moment at altercation when uh, Derek Sheen was on stage in the middle of a story. There was just like a brief moment of silence where he was like just taking a breath or something. And I remember like beautiful lighting and I'm standing kind of in the center of uh, kick butt coffee and there's all this stuff going on, but like you could have heard a pen draw. It was like complete silence. No one pouring ice in a cup no nothing and then like a minute later he delivered a punchline on a story and the room erupted and it was just like it was like man that is that's mastery like that was like in the moment I was sitting there going god damn I gotta follow that but <laughs> like, yeah. but I was also like 
that is that's what this is about for me. I love seeing this happen. Like I I I I thought my whole life that I was the kind of person that would see that and be like they should be clapping for me. But who I really am, like who I really am in that moment is the guy that's like in awe of it and is like wow, this is dope as hell. Yeah, the I I remember Derek set because there was so much in there about like just all the shit that we've all been through in the last couple of years of like grief and loss and anxiety and dread and, you know, uh, staring into the abyss, you know, and the, and the sound of a room full of comics listening. Yes. Yes. It's incredibly powerful. Right. You know, because yeah. the, because we're fans and because Derek's our friend, we love Derek. And we like, you know, you, you want him to do well. And also like, and tell me if I'm wrong, tell me if it's just me, but there's definitely a part of me when I'm watching you all motherfuckers up there where I'm like, he better not do this. Oh no, that's too good. Like, I, or I'm going to steal that shit or I, oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> like, why did he think of that? Am I the only one doing that? No, no, no. I'm, okay. I'm always looking at the joke with the, with the comics glasses on as well. And and the other fun thing is like when when all that's happening and you can just go, oh hell yeah, hell like you think you've got it pegged and then you're like, oh this motherfucker like that's not where I thought that was going like that's my favorite thing to do to people so when someone does it to me I'm like ooh yeah yeah okay I see what you're doing. I, I remember going to see Fiery Furnaces play when I was probably, whatever, 28. And I went with my bandmate at the time. And we, we, you know, we, we snuck in a bottle of vodka and we were like getting ripped. And we loved the band and we loved the show, but we left early because we were watching them play and the, the band was so good. We looked at each other and we were like, we gotta go fucking practice. And, and we were shit faced. And we just, we went to the practice space and played for like three hours because we were like, we need to get better because this is what this is who we're competing with you know the um mm -hmm. and i don't know the that that's one of the things i get out of like you know bird city and altercation and stuff like that is to you know you you come there being like i i've been practicing you know like i've been i've been doing my push-ups you know like all right let's do this you know and then you get there and you're like oh shit everybody else has been fucking practicing too every you guys yes. have been getting better too the um nothing in the world puts you in the mindset that you need to hit mics like the week after festival yeah yeah um one last thing i want to interrogate you about before we dip the let's do it Honey Nut Cheerios, are they like an, an official sponsor? Are you guys in just like a casual thing? Where did that come from? <laughs> it's casual. Yeah, so when I first started stand up, uh, my, my best friend, Johnny, he's the one that talked me into doing stand up. So I'm eternally grateful to him. Johnny is, uh, he's like a computer guy, but he also does like photography, and like some graphic design. That's what he's excellent at it. And so he was like, I'm gonna build you a website. And 
and I need to take some headshots for you. So he came over and I put on a shirt and a hat. And he's taking these pictures and he's like, damn, dude, like, do you smile? And I was like, ah, really? Like, I just kept like, I look stoic and stiff and dumb. And he was like, man, like I'm taking like you, I'm taking some good ones, but you're not smiling much. And I was like, there's a table right by where we are. And it still had the Honey Nut Cheerios I eaten for breakfast on it. So I like grabbed the box and I'm like, you mean like this? You want me to be a spokesperson? And he's like, actually, hold on. So he snapped a few. And he was like, dude, these are actually pretty good. <laughs> and so I was like, I was like, okay, fine. Like, whatever. Like, so he sent it to me. And I saw it and I was like, okay, this is pretty silly and funny. Let me let me put it out there. And I posted it on like Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. And the next day, like I was up to like, I don't know, like 10,000 likes on Tumblr. And I'm like, uh-oh, something's happening. And so then the next day, it was up to like a hundred thousand and I'm like, uh oh, something's really happening. And so like a week later I'm over a million and I've got all these people who are like they're calling me Cheerios guy and this, that and the other. And then it starts going viral on like Twitter. Then it goes viral on Instagram and then it just like takes off all over the place. And so I I tried reaching out to uh Hunter Night Cheerios and they weren't interested. I mean they probably just researched me like a little bit and they were like oh we cannot do this and we absolutely cannot have the honey bee hanging out with this dude it's a little too much um but i i still like people still love the picture i'm thankful for it i love it it's just a it's a fun thing that happened that i'm like all right i'm gonna i'm just gonna let it go for as long as it goes the um when I was 15 years old, I ate I, or I won a Cheerios eating contest and I was given a, <laughs> a yellow Cheerios t-shirt um, and, I, and I still have it 30 years later. Yo, <laughs> that's dope. <laughs> Ridiculous. The, um, Dante, give us all your plugs. Where, uh, where can people find you? Where are you performing? And most importantly, uh, when are you going to come and do a show at my house? Um, well, let's answer that first. I, whenever, man. Like, I'm, I'm out here now. We can figure something out. Uh, we got to so, get you in yeah, before, the, I, uh, before the kids drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's figure something out. And then, it, wait, is, uh, is Era, because I... I can find stuff in Arizona. Is Arizona where Bisbee is? Is that? Yeah, Bisbee is whatever. It's uh, three hours south of here. The I have I have people down there. Christine Levine is down there. The I actually need to make a trip down there. So who knows? Maybe if you're in town, I'll just fucking drive you down there, and we'll we'll hang out for a well, minute. I don't remember who it was. If you if whoever told me about Bisbee watches this, they were like, "Oh man, you should go to Bisbee. Those people would love you." And I don't know if that was like a compliment or what, but <laughs> the, this part, they mentioned it to me like three or four times in a conversation. They were like, hey, if you ever go to Arizona, make sure you try to get some shows in Bisbee because you seem like you do well there. I don't know what that means, but I, you know, 
it is what it is. One way, um, to, one way to find out. People, yeah, people, you can, uh, they can find me on Twitter at Dante Powell. They can find me on uh, Instagram at Moose Rattler. They can just email me, moose.rattler at gmail.com. I like to give out my email on podcasts and see if people actually do it. And then um, you can also listen to me on, I have a, I have a podcast. I just released the first episode last night, actually. Awesome. It's called uh, the, o- the Opinion Hated Podcast, where I just take a random opinion that people seem to hate, and I just talk about it. So, like, the one, the first episode is that Arby's is bad. I dig into why I think that opinion is stupid, and Arby's is actually pretty decent. So, it's just going to be you know, 15 to 30 to maybe 45 minute episodes each time where I just talk about random opinions and whether I actually hate them as well, or if I, you know, like the opinion. So, um, yeah, that's it. I'm going to be on the road soon. I definitely would love to come back to Arizona so we can definitely figure something out there. And, and yeah, if you want me to come through your city, let me know. We can figure something out. Uh, I, I'm about that life. Awesome. The um, If people are still listening at this point, uh, please sign up for my Patreon so that I can uh, continue to buy Honey Nut Cheerios. And uh, yes. I, have, I have a book that just came out that I'm selling that I'm... Uh, I'm dude, I'm doing all the shipping on my own. It's the fucking worst. It's such a nightmare. Never, never do Kickstarter because they give you all the money up front and you're like, yay, and then you have to do the work. And I, I hate it. The um, Dante, dude, you are the best. The thank you so much for doing this. You know the one of the things I like. The one of the last things I got to share with you is that the just saying your name to other comics who know you makes them smile, if not fucking laugh out loud, <laughs> because uh, because you're such a good comic and. Uh, you, you, I don't know. You're just such a great dude. I, um, I'm so grateful that we got to just sit down and just shoot the shit for an hour. Thanks for having me on, man. Awesome. That, that really made me feel good. Awesome. Well, I will, uh, I'll hit you up about, uh, the house show thing and I'll see if I can get some, uh, Arizona shows rolling for you here. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Awesome. All right. Take care my friend. You too, man. Catching up with friends who are arguably more talented than him.